You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. Today, I'm going to be talking with Lori Mintz, who is the author um, of the topic of this um, podcast today called Becoming Cliterate. And her book is called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. It was a book that um, was actually reviewed by the New York Times. Lori Mintz, Ph.D., is an award-winning college professor. She currently teaches psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of students a year at the University of Florida and has had over 20 years of experience working with private clients on sexual issues. Dr. Mintz has received numerous professional awards and is a fellow of the American Psychological Association. She's published over 50 research studies, writes a Psychology Today blog, and has been quoted in many outlets, including Cosmopolitan, Women's Day, Prev, Women's Health, Men's Health, CNN.com, Oprah.com, and the Huffington Post. And you can find more about her at her website at www.drlorimintz.com, which we'll say at the end. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because this is such an important topic. You know, I always say to people, only because I'm gay and all my writings and trainings are gay, people don't realize that 75% of my practice is with heterosexual clients. And actually, straight people call and they'll say, do you see straight people? And I feel like that kid in the sixth sense, I see straight people. You know, like <laughs> I have to like inform them. So to me, and so I know in my work with people and with women especially that they struggle with becoming Clitorate and men struggle with becoming clitorate. So I thought we could start with the question of why did you write this book? What was your hope in writing this book? Well, my hope in writing this book, and it's a great question, is to help both women and men in the world at large become more clitorate and to close the orgasm gap. You know, but you know, it stated really simply the orgasm gap is the fact that during heterosexual sexual encounters, the men are having way more orgasms than the women are. Really striking statistics on this topic. One of the most striking I collected myself with my students that 55% of men versus 4% of women say they orgasm during first-time hookup sex. And so I wrote the book to empower women to orgasm and to close the orgasm gap. That's so awesome because so many women, they don't orgasm. They don't think they need to orgasm and they don't know, they don't understand that uh, PIV, right? Penis and vagina intercourse isn't the main way women orgasm, right? Exactly. And in, in Becoming Clitorate, I talk about many, many cultural reasons for the orgasm gap, but I say that the number one reason, and I believe this so strongly, and I've seen it over and over, is the lie we're told about getting laid, I call it. The number one lie about getting laid is that women should orgasm from penetration or intercourse alone. It's so hard to understand. I mean, I believe it, but so many women don't know this, you know, and um, it's like a new generation comes up and then they don't know it. Like they, every generation seems to always need to be educated about this. It's not just in the culture. 
And that's the thing that's just so striking to me and that in, you know, it's 2019 and this is still not well known. And, you know, it is, it's a, when I first started teaching psych of human sexuality to the undergrads and the orgasm gap came to light for me and the reasons for it. And I started teaching the students in my class about the clitoris and women don't orgasm from intercourse alone. They were like shocked. And it was as if I'm older, I'm almost 60. And so my coming of age was during the sexual revolution and everyone kind of body, our bodies ourselves and things like that. And we all knew about our clitoris. And it was like, I was so shocked to find that a whole knowledge, a whole body of knowledge had been lost to um, women and that we're back where we started with women thinking they should orgasm from intercourse. I know. And I remember, I don't know how long ago this was anymore, but Ian Kerner's book, She Comes First, right? That was like a big deal, New York Times bestseller. And I thought then that we were going to have, um, you know, because it was about men pleasing women first, letting them have their orgasm and then having his orgasm. And I thought, okay, he's embedding this in the culture and not necessarily, right? Exactly. And, you know, there's a whole history, you know, in Ian's book is one piece of it, of the clitoris being lost and found, lost and found, lost and found again. And his book came out, I think, in 2004. And it's exactly, it's, and I quote his book throughout Becoming Clitoris. It's a great how-to oral sex manual guide that's all about the clitoris and the power of it and how if heterosexual men discover this, not only will they give their partners more orgasms, but that takes the pressure off of their penis to perform the impossible and yet, even at that book being a New York Times bestseller, we're still not there culturally where we equally value women's and men's most reliable routes to orgasm. Mm-hmm. I just had a woman in my office who was 35 years old, and she said she didn't even know where her clitoris was. Mm. I was so, so shocked. Yes, yes. And there's been studies. This strikes me like a quarter of women and men about cannot even locate the clitoris on a diagram. I, um, in my sex therapy trainings, we had vulva puppets, right? And so then we were able to look and not just diagrams, but be able to, you know, touch and feel in the, on the puppet where it was. And it feels like every girl, woman should be given one. Every man should be given one, you know? I agree. I have one of those Volvo puppets and I love it too. And, but, you know, everybody should be given sex education that includes the clitoris. And, it, you know, our sex education system, in the words of Peggy Ornstein, acts as if the clitoris doesn't exist. Yeah. I, what I just learned, I think, because you and I met at, at the sex therapy conference at STAR. Um, I forget what STAR stands for. Do you know? Um, Society for Sex Therapy and Re- Society for Sex Therapy and Research. That's right. And then you did your presentation there, and I learned there. I, I may have been from you that um, how we erase women's sexuality by saying penis and vagina. That the vagina is not a sex organ. The vulva, the clitoris is. We should be saying penis and vulva, or penis and clitoris, right? Yes, and I I'm I love this topic, and so I'm so glad you brought it up and. Um, it was so fun to meet you at Star, and that was me that said that I have a whole chapter in Becoming Cliterate on our linguistic analysis, and that is a piece of it that that we call our entire genitals a vagina. 
So in other words, we're linguistically erasing, um, you know, a psychological, uh, linguistic genital mutilation. We're not even mentioning the parts that give ourselves the most pleasure. And instead, we call our entire genitals by the part that gives heterosexual men the most pleasure, our vaginas, rather than the part that gives us the most pleasure, our vulva, our clitoris. I absolutely love this. And and when you say it, it's infuriating, you know, because it's something that's so simple and yet we don't do it, right? We're Right. You know, and right along those lines, the, the way that we use sex and intercourse as if they were one and the same mm-hmm. and call everything that comes before foreplay. We're saying we're not only erasing, you know, gay and lesbian individuals when we, you know, equate sex and intercourse, PVI, but we are really privileging heterosexual men's sexuality. We're calling sex by the one act that gives heterosexual men the most pleasure. That is so true. And really, um, I, I just think to myself, it's, it's such a simple thing to know, and yet it's so profound because the culture has, has done this. Uh, I want to ask you, in the book, you stress the importance of women taking their pleasure into their own hands by exploring their own bodies and learning what they what they like and what helps them orgasm. However, there are women that are uncomfortable touching themselves and their sex organs and their clitoris and their vulvas. So do you have tips that women can use if they find themselves resistant to learning more about enjoying their own bodies? Uh, this is a really important question. I'm so glad you asked me this because... The hesitancy and embarrassment and shame um, that so many women feel in touching themselves is so important to overcome, and um, that's why I have a whole section in the book on it. And basically what I do and what I'll tell you here is, you know, using research and accurate information. So, for example, talking about where the shame comes from and debunking it. It's so old. It comes from stories in the Bible. It comes from beliefs that if you touch yourself, you're going to go crazy. And there's ways to debunk those um, beliefs, and I can get into those if you want. And then really helping people understand that the research really clearly demonstrates the benefits of self-pleasure for both physical health and psychological health. You know, just examples, it increases immunity, decreases pain tolerance, helps you sleep, and most importantly, in terms of orgasm, that learning to orgasm by yourself is the first step to learning to orgasm with another person. It's the most important mainstay of sex therapy for women learning to orgasm. And so really, really kind of taking a, you know, a deep talk about why masturbation is important and that it is essential um, to learning to orgasm. I love it. I remember um, Oprah in the last couple of seasons of her show had Laura Berman, sex therapist on, and Laura Berman felt it was important. They did a whole show. I was so proud of Oprah because she'd never done like a show like this where uh, Berman said that she thought uh, young uh, teen females should be given vibrators so they can explore their bodies so that when they end up with boys, they know how to st- t- show the boy and themselves how to stimulate her too and it won't become all about the boy that she's having sex with. And they got a lot of flack for that. Do you remember that show? 
I don't, but I'm going to look it up, and I love that. I, I mean, I think that is so important. And, you know, I'm not surprised they caught a lot of flack because in our culture we're very sex negative and we're especially women's pleasure negative. And, you know, vibrators are fantastic, which is a whole nother topic. But, you know, in the Netherlands, in their sex ed, they teach about the clitoris. They encourage self-pleasure. And if if you know, if you expect pleasure and you know how to get it, it's not just important for pleasure. You're much less likely to tolerate sexual pain, which so many young women have. You're more likely to recognize coercion. I mean, expecting, owning, knowing your own body and how to get pleasure is so essential. I love it. Tell me, um, or tell the audience, because I think it's important to know, why do men, uh, why is it important for men to be also become clitorate? Well, that's really important, really important. And it's why I have a whole chapter in the book for men. In the media, you'll often hear things that the reason women aren't having orgasms is because men are selfish or they only care about their own pleasure. Um, In the research and in the many men I talk to, this is simply not true. Men really want to please women, but they don't know how because they've been fed the same lies. They've been watching the same false images of women orgasm from penetration alone and they don't have that corrected in sex ed, and many women fake orgasm with them. So men need to become clitorate too because it's going to help them not only become better lovers for women, but it's going to help them enjoy sex more because it's going to take away the terrible performance pressure they're under to, quote, make women orgasm by lasting long and thrusting hard, which isn't going to work in the first place. So men becoming clitorate, it helps them and the women that they are having sexual encounters with. God, that makes so much sense. And and you're right. In my uh, experience with straight men that are in my office and even outside of my office, um, they often do feel turned off if they can't turn her on. And that's one of their biggest losses is how do I do that? And when, it, when she's not turned on, they take it very personally. Yes, it's a, and there was a study that was really interesting recently that basically kind of proved what we already know that, and it's so sad and affects so many of our clients that men see their ability to um, pleasure a woman with their penis um, as a reflection of their masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I also say, you know, along with stopping calling the vagina vulva and sex intercourse, we really need to stop making jokes about men's penis sizes because all that does is fuel their anxiety and it is a very non-clitorate joke. We need to start joking. If we want to joke about something, let's joke about the flexibility of a man's hands or tongue or his ability to hold a vibrator, not the size of his penis. Wow. I hope that's one of the biggest takeaways a lot of men listening to this will hear because that is a big uh, thing. And, and a big question is how many inches do I have to be for her to feel pleasure? And they're very humiliated by that whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. What do you say about um, people that are religious? Do you have anything for people that this for them uh, goes against their religion to become clitorate kind of thing? Yes. You know, I... And that's a really tough one when it comes to 
working with any client who has very deeply held beliefs, say, against masturbation or against um, anything but intercourse. But I will tell you a story, and this was, I will never forget this. And this was a client taught me this. Um, I was, she had never orgasmed, and, you know, she and her husband did the typical no, you know, no foreplay, even though I hate that word, I'm going to use it in this context, and then right to intercourse. And, of course, she not only didn't orgasm, she was really not enjoying herself and had some pain. So I introduced her to her anatomy and the clitoris, and I talked to her all about this. And she went home, and she did some research, and she found a book about this, and in the book it said, well, the clitoris is the only organ in the whole body, male or female, designed for pleasure, so it must be God's gift to women. Mm. And she was so excited about that that she felt more comfortable embracing the power of her clitoris, talking to her husband about it, and their sex life completely changed. That's awesome. I, I would hope for something like that for people so uh, who are religious because so many of them feel like this is taboo and sinning, really, to do this. Exactly. But it's there for a reason. Um, the other great quote I've read is, the reason our hands meet our genitals is we were designed that way so that we could. And also breaking down, I, I sometimes work with really sex-positive religious leaders when I and I send a client to them, and I've learned so much from them, like, the, the verse in the Bible that's supposed to be quoted all the time about anti-masturbation, a lot of scholars of the Bible don't even believe that's what that was about. It was about um, this guy named, um, I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, but Oman, it, it was about intercourse that he pulled out and, quote, spilled his seed on the ground, not because of masturbation. So if you really even can work with some sex-positive religious people, they can even help take these taboos away. I never knew that story. That's really helpful to hear because that's been misconstrued, obviously. Yeah, it's, um, it, they, you know, he was supposed to have been punished for spilling his seed, but the real story is, you know, his um, brother died and he was, you know, instructed then to procreate with his sister-in-law because that's what the law was then, and he was having so much trouble with this that he pulled out and ejaculated outside of her, and that's what he was punished wow, for. Wow, wow. Okay, so a lot of people, a lot of couples and just individuals find it difficult to talk about sex and talk about it at all, let alone even with their partners. Can you tell us some tips that you would recommend that people can use to become more comfortable expressing to their partner what they like and what they need sexually? Yes, absolutely. That's like so, so, so important that that the first tip I would say is to realize that communication is necessary for satisfying sex. Like when we look at movies or porn, you don't ever see communication. Everybody knows what to do and does it without speaking. But indeed, communication is the bedrock of a good relationship and communication can make your bed rock. Mm, I love that. Yeah, and um, people also need to realize that it's a lot easier to learn to communicate than to read minds in bed. Even though people think it's hard, it's a lot more easy to learn and effective than reading minds. And, you know, I really advocate that people don't just start out with good communication in bed. It's 
it's that's not going to happen. But to learn good communication in their daily lives and then apply it to sex. Um, and there's tons of good communication tips I could give that not only apply outside the bedroom, but in the bedroom. Like one of my favorites is don't ask questions that aren't questions. We often do that. Do you want to have sex as an example? It's really never a question. It either means, hey, I'm really horny and I hope you want to, or I hope you're not horny because I'm not either. And, you know, really learning instead to say what you want with I statements and time your communications well and really, really learning good communication outside of the bedroom and then then applying it to sex during sex and outside of the bedroom talking about sex is just a natural extension. Very well said. And then I also think about um, clients that have talked to me and some female friends that over the years talked to me about shame about how their clitoris looks or their vulva looks or, you know, it doesn't look normal or what is normal. Do you, how do you address that? Yeah, and that's, you know, unfortunately it's it's really akin to the, you know, issues men have about their penises looking, you know, wrong or being too small is that every vulva looks different. They're all beautiful. They're like snowflakes. Every one is different. And but all we see in porn, right, are big penises and even in petite inner lips. And those are people are chosen for that, you know. Yep. They're very not normal, or some of women have even had surgery. So the, the key is seeing other women's vulvas. And there's some beautiful online sites and pictures. Um, my favorite is called um, Gynodiversity, and it's got beautiful pictures of women's vulvas, all shapes and sizes, um, with hair, without hair, and, you know, all kinds of women from different races and ethnicities. And once you see real vulvas, you'll know that, or you'll hopefully come to love yours and know that what you look like is just fine. What a great answer. And it, it's true. I had a, um, a porn star tell me once that, uh, he, um, that some of the, uh, vulvas you see in porn are prosthetics. They're not even real. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That is really upsetting. I know it <laughs> I is. knew that a lot of women had labiaplasty to be in porn. I didn't know they were prosthetics. Yeah. Wow. Made to look, I guess, in whatever way it's a men. I don't know. Made to look whatever. And, um, I just think it's awful because again, you're, you're telling women this is how it should look. And if it doesn't look this way, something's wrong with you. Yeah. And this is why we have young women, you know, young girls, 13, 14, 15, 16 you know, trying to want, you know, genic, um, cosmetic genital surgery. Yeah, yeah, awful. It's terrible. As we almost are coming to a close, what would you say the biggest takeaway you want people to get from reading your book, Becoming Cliterate? Well, I want people to know that we have an or- a gendered orgasm gap in heterosex- heterosexual sex and that there's a very simple solution to this problem. That is, we need to hold men's most reliable route to orgasm, penile stimulation, penetration, equal to women's most reliable route to orgasm, vulva, clitoral stimulation. And frankly, I really believe that there's never been a time in Western history um, where we are poised to really get this and to change it. And uh, I think that for people with clitorises, the revolution is coming. 
I love it. I just feel like I don't know that I always believe this, but sometimes I do, and this time I do. Some things are meant to be, and I think you were the one meant to talk about this and spread this word. I think you're so smart, and I had so much fun with you at that conference. I laughed so hard. I felt like you were like a long lost sister that I hadn't known, I never met. I felt this. Well, thank you. I mean, really, that almost that kind of brings tears to my eyes that you say that I'm the one to spread this word. I really do hope that the word gets spread. And that, like, we don't have to do this again. Like, let this be the end of it. You know, let's, I want people to, like, people have called my book radical. And my hope is that in 10 years, people will be like, what? Why was that (laughs) radical? And honestly, Joe, I'll also say I felt completely the same way. I so loved meeting and spending time with you. And I love your work. And I felt like you were a long lost brother. Thank you so much. How can people find you, Lori? Um, Website, Twitter, how so? Um, well, my website, www.drlorimintz.com, and that has links. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest as well. And my name on everything, all of those social media sites and my website is the same, Dr. Lori Mintz. Thank you so much, and thanks for agreeing to this um, podcast. And I hope everyone listening learned a lot from you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.